You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Gators breakdown. The Gators Fan Podcast, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. And as the saying goes, there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation, and that is for sure. The last couple of days with some coaching moves, we'll hit on that this episode as well as some recruiting and goals for the offseason. And to, uh, to help me break it all down is Neil Blackman. You can find his work on Saturday Down South and the Florida Basketball Hour podcast and find him on Twitter at NWBlackman. Neil, I got to uh, finally meet you in person right after uh, after the Peach Bowl in Atlanta. But uh, thanks for joining me on kind of short notice for this episode. Hey, thank you for having me again, Dave. It's, uh, it's always good to talk, uh, talk about football or, or anything uh, Gators related with you. Yeah, I... Uh, I think uh, when I met you in Atlanta, that was the, the the drink I had right when I met you was probably the one that set me over the edge. <laughs> <laughs> it had been a while since uh, Florida fans had uh, that big a cause for for celebration. I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. to be forgiven. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Downtown Atlanta was fun that night. Uh, yeah. you, could, you could definitely tell Gator Nation was excited and yeah. uh, lots to be excited for, even though with these coaching changes. Yeah, no doubt. All right, before we get started, remember, you can find Gators Breakdown on news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. You'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes as well as articles pertaining to Gators, the Jaguars, all local Jacksonville sports uh, by the News for Jack sports team. Also catch Gators Breakdown on iTunes, Google Play, YouTube, Spotify. When using those services, please share, rate, and review the show and follow us on social media on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. So, of course, uh, the biggest news We'll start on the the latest coaching change, quarterback coach Charlton Warden leaving Florida for SEC East and big-time rival Georgia for the defensive back coaching position there. So, of course, Will, the the big story, or Neil, the, the, the big story is the timing of it all. That, that, that And so let's go through it before we get there. We heard the rumor last week as Football Scoop reported that Georgia would have interest in Warren. Uh, that came out while cornerback target Kyrie Elam was taking his official visit to Florida. So we all just kind of assumed it was Kirby Smart putting putting that out there. And, and, and we know Elam and his family probably wasn't the biggest fan of Georgia defensive coordinator Mel Tucker leaving Georgia. So, you know, initially Warren turns down the job from Georgia, recruiting for Florida all week long, including an in-home with Elam again on Thursday night. Well, then something happened late in the week uh, where Warren ends up accepting the Georgia offer. It gets announced on Saturday that Warren is the new defensive backs coach at Georgia. So now here we are. Look, I don't really blame Warren for accepting the position. He probably wasn't going to get at Florida. That, That position that he got at Georgia wasn't available at Florida. Don't know if it was going to become available at Florida. Ron English coaches safeties uh, and the chance to become a defensive backs coach with more money go back to where he's from at Georgia, be closer to his family, just too much to pass up. 
but I do believe it was a calculated move as far as timing and the announcement from Kirby Smart. Now, I'm not mad about it. Believe me, I'd love if Florida did it, the reversal. If Florida did this, I'd be jumping up and down that, hey, we got one on Georgia uh, like like this. But, uh, you know, can it be labeled a, a dirty move? Maybe, sure. Uh, but, you know, most of it's based on the timing of it all. So, uh, but that's the word of college football right now. So, Will or Neil, it's just, uh, yeah, more than likely what ticked off Gator fans most was just the timing of it all. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think I think you you summarized it pretty well, and I think uh, look, it seems pretty clear that if this involves some sort of sit down with Kirby, that probably happened when Kirby was in state to see Gervin Dexter. That happened earlier in the week. A lot of people saw the 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 you know the helicopter video and and all that, and then then Gervin Dexter with the the quick tweets about being solid as a wall and all that stuff. Well. You know, maybe he wasn't going to land Gervin Dexter or flip him right now, but uh, he obviously went back to work on uh, on Charlton Warren and and got the guy he wanted. And I think, you know, I think your aspect, the, the way that you're viewing it, I think is the right way. I mean, this is this this is the business. Uh, what they say in the Godfather this is the business we have chosen, and <laughs> and it's kind of that's where we are right now. That's the universe that Nick Saban has built and that everybody is after and pursuing. And I think uh, I wasn't the only person who, who wrote an article after Georgia lost the sugar bowl and, and lost 60% of its offensive production that, uh, that said the optics at least were trending away from Georgia and the last month. And I think Kirby smart wanted to, to do stuff this week that kind of, uh, flip that script and certainly hiring Charlton Warren away from the team who is part of the reason the optics are turning away from you uh, on a weekend when your biggest head to head guy recruiting wise is in town. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I think that's a big, a big splash for Georgia to make. And, and um, that's the way Kirby operates. Yeah. And in Kirby's uh, announcement, he says, quote, Charlton is from Atlanta and has a wide range of experience coaching defensive football at several universities and conferences around the country. His entire coaching career has been on the defensive side of the ball and especially defensive backs. He has developed an outstanding record and reputation in the coaching profession, and he'll bring great knowledge and energy to our staff. So, Mm -hmm. Neil, uh, you know, Tennessee last year, Florida this past year, uh, and now Georgia, he's hitting all the uh, big-time SEC East uh, <laughs> traditional uh, schools here. So, uh, you know, kind of hopping around a little bit. But this one might be out there uh, for, for a little while. But, you know, as a coach, I, th- I think it's hard to measure the effect Warren had as, as a coach only being here one season. You know, not saying he was a, a bad coach or a good coach. But I, th- I think the defense was going to take a step forward, a step up overall, you know, especially – the natural progression of the defensive backs getting a year older. Henderson and Wilson were coming off their freshman seasons. Uh, Henderson, great this past season while Wilson went down with an injury. You know, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, if you want to throw him in there, all over the field. And I don't think Warren had much input on how they were going to use Chauncey Gardner-Johnson and, and where they lined him up this year. We saw Trey Dean come on as a true freshman, and the unit was playing well. You know, starting at about the second half of the South Carolina game after the bumps of the Georgia game and the Missouri game, kind of really after the second half of that South Carolina game from the season on, you know, really lived up to the billing that we know DBU to be. So as far as the coaching aspect, you don't want to make it sound like sour grapes and 
Charlton Warren, oh, he, he wasn't that good of a coach, let him go to <laughs> Georgia. That's not what I mean. It's just one season, I think it's really hard to measure how, how, how important he really was. Yeah, I think that's fair. He's a very good football coach. Um, and I think anybody who saw C.J. Henderson kind of progress from a freshman all-SEC player to somebody that should have been an All-American, uh, at least in my opinion, um, you know, really played well enough to be a consensus All-American and wasn't, uh, will certainly be a preseason consensus All-American next year. And I think he should get credit for that and, the, and for the development of Trey Dean. But the Trey Dean situation is pretty interesting. Not because Trey and Marco took the same shot at, at Warren on Twitter last night. I, I don't care about that. Yeah. Um, in fact, I thought that was kind of a nothing burger that <laughs> it's like, what are they supposed to say? You know, but, but, uh, Trey, interesting comments from trading came after the Peach Bowl to, to Nick De La Torre, who, uh, when he said Florida wasn't even in my top 20, and then isolated Mullen and Grantham as the reason that he had decided to come to Florida. Um, so I think, yeah, and then your point about Chauncey Gardner Johnson, I think, is well taken. I, I do think that that's this staff made Chauncey, uh, you know, uh, a much better or helped make Chauncey a much better tackler along with Chauncey's hard work. But yeah, I mean, I think he was kind of a one of the classic Grantham pieces that Todd just he, Todd in his career has always been one of the best people in football at at putting players in a position to succeed. Now, I think that's his bigger a bigger advantage with him than than any sort of schematic advantage he offers, if that makes sense. Like I, he's yeah. he's very good at dialing up exotic blitzes, but a lot of that is because he knows which players to blitz. He knows. <laughs> You know, so he identifies players' strengths really well and I think uh, capitalizes on what they do. So anyway, you know, without rambling too much, Charlton Warren's a good coach. Doesn't mean that this is like a devastating loss to Florida's coaching staff um, in the sense that, say, a C-Rob would be. Right. Yeah, exactly. So part of it, another reason this move stung a little bit, Nil, because it was coming on the heels of defensive line coach Sal Sinceri leaving for yeah. Alabama just a day before. Now, this was one we kind of heard whispers about for a few weeks as a possibility, not necessarily him going to Alabama, but maybe him going somewhere. So, you know, I, I thought uh, he came in last season and was an impact on the recruiting trail in the first cycle that they were going on. Malik Langham really comes to mind there. Uh, but, mm -hmm. you know, not necessarily that way this past cycle. You know, his coaching up front was definitely noticeable. Much like with Warren, I do think it's hard to really put a measurement uh, on Sal's effect. But the numbers are obvious if you want to point to those 11 forced fumbles for the Gators up front, registered 37 tackles uh, or 37 sacks in, in this past season. Jacopo Light was a force. But we've seen that type of – like you were saying, we've seen that type of player in the Todd Grantham defense before. So it's not – not you know, to say – label the defensive front and, and Jakob Polite's success solely on Sal, I think would be – you know, I don't think it would be fair to Grantham. So I don't want to make it sound like pettiness again as far as uh, these coaches' input and effect on the team. But I do think, as you mentioned, I, I was going to wrap it up that way too. It's more to me Todd Grantham's defense – and instead of giving these individual coaches a lot of the kudos for the way these players turned out. Yeah. I mean, I, and, and I think you, there are things, if you were going to nitpick with, with Florida's defensive line, you might say that Florida's defensive tackles didn't develop that well mm -hmm. um, this season. Now, certainly I thought they played really well in the peach bowl, which was yeah. nice to see. Uh, 
But, but you're right. But you're right. We came into the season thinking Conliff and Slayton were going to be these big time stalwarts in the middle, and it, whether Sal identified or Grantham identified those guys early, it never really panned out that way, and it ends up being Campbell and Schuler and Clark, uh, right? And yeah. Clark, as the year went on, that those yeah. ended up being the guys. Yeah. And, um. So so in that respect, maybe, you know. I don't want to take anything. Maybe it's maybe it's easy to coach 96, 92, and 99, right? <laughs> um, uh, and then the other thing with Sonseri is he, he had a parent uh, pass away. Um, his son just took a job at Alabama. Um, so you combine those things with the fact that, you know, if you pull him up on Wikipedia, this is a, he's a journeyman. I mean, his longest, his longest stay anywhere was several years with, with John Fox and the Panthers. Um, so he did six seasons in, in Carolina. Otherwise, it's like two years here, three years there, one yeah. year there. You know, so that's that's what Sal does, um, and uh, and he's that's what he's done here. And I think Florida has a chance to to make a a comparable hire. I do think one that might not make message board people happy is a thought on that is if I had a hot take on the Sincerity thing, I, I would say don't don't go recruiter heavy on on your DL hire. Make sure it's a it's a sound football coach and technique guy. Um, Hopefully both. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, no doubt. I mean, and it's not, it's, it's possible to have both, yeah. but it, it's gotta be one or the other. Make sure you develop the guys that are on canvas because you got a young front outside Absolutely. of, outside of zoo. Yeah. And uh, you transitioned exactly where I was going to go next. And hey, look, we'll see if any more openings uh, on this staff happen uh, in, in the next week or so leading up to signing day after signing day. We'll kind of see uh, where that goes. Some whispers of some more uh, in openings out there, maybe for Florida. So we'll kind of see, but Neil, now some, some hot names that are out there for openings on this coaching staff. We'll start on the defensive line here. Kevin Patrick, Chris Wilson are the two hot names out there a lot as far as his defensive line goes. I'm partial to what Patrick has done and what he's been able to do at NC State and and his history in the state of Florida, at South Florida. I think it's going to be very hard to pull him, get him uh, and his family out of of Raleigh. Chris Wilson, the most obvious connection since his contract, wasn't renewed by the Philadelphia Eagles last week. Plenty of experience with Dan Mullen from Mississippi State and is known as as a great coach and a great recruiter. Football Scoop reported Friday that Mullen has interest in bringing Wilson back on on, on his staff. Uh, personal favorite of mine is Charlie Partridge. I've gotten to know Char- Charlie Charlie Partridge personally a little over the last year, two years. Uh, former head coach at FAU, current defensive line coach at Pitt. There is some interest there, no discussions, but he's worth keeping an eye on. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think I think uh, obviously with with any of those guys. Patrick probably would be the guy that I think people would jump for joy over. Um, I don't know. I mean, he's a Miami guy, so, you know, money talks, I guess. <laughs> but he better pay him his money. If you want him to come to Gainesville, he seems pretty happy with with everything in, uh, in Raleigh. And they have a – they've done a lot of good work at that program under that staff. Mm. Um, so, I don't, you know – and, 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 and what he's done that defensive yeah. line too, you know, that, that, that has been no, that has been definitely noticed what he's done there. Yeah, no, it is, and and Florida, um, you know, Florida would certainly be an upgrade for him, but but maybe his family's comfortable there, and you have to respect that. Uh, Wilson, you know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't have any insight into what Mullen's relationship with him is, uh, given their history. Hard to say. Um, and then, uh, you know, yeah, Charlie Partridge would be a guy I think that that. Florida fans should be comfortable with pretty good recruiter. Um, 
certainly managed to develop players both at Wisconsin and um, Arkansas, you know, right? Yeah. So yeah. I think you know they had the chance to be the head coach at FAU and yeah. and uh, almost beat old Jimmy McElwain, but yeah. it, it started pouring rain right when FAU got the ball in overtime, and so Florida managed to get a stop. So. <laughs> Oh my God! Thank God. Smiled on the Gators that day, right? Oh, thank God those type of games are over with. <laughs> uh, and one thing about Chris Wilson, and this kind of goes for NFL coaches too, and we'll get into it when we talk about the the cornerback defensive back position opening too. Is I'm a little weary, leery of bringing NFL guys in because of the recruiting aspect. We know how important recruiting is. Uh, when, when you're when you're looking at college programs and some of those guys when they get a taste of the NFL they don't necessarily like going back to the college and, and, and having to recruit again instead of just coaching you know, you go to the NFL it's identifying talent it's getting that it's getting that talent through through the draft free agency but other people are taking care of that so uh, the, the, does the, uh, the the taste of having to go recruit again uh, or not like, you know, they come back to it and don't like it. We, we've seen it happen before. Gators bring guys in, and then they end up not really liking it, going back to the NFL. So we kind of see uh, where it goes with that. But that, that's my that, that's just my holdup of, uh, of bringing NFL guys in. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think, uh, I think everybody – every one of them is different. I, you know, yeah. I think that's, that's a reasonable concern um, on the recruiting front because recruiting is – that's the sport. I mean, you know, it's recruit or die. Florida, very, very close to signing its first top 10 class. And what I knew in my column, five or <laughs> six, it's five or six years. Yeah. Since, which, I mean, you know, if you're in your 30s like me or or younger, uh, that's mind boggling to you. <laughs> that yeah. it's been, yeah. right? Like you just haven't existed in a universe where that's ever been something that you could say. So. Um, <laughs> or had to worry about, but, yeah, but, here, so, but here we are. <laughs> yeah, here we are. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, you want to make sure you get a guy that I think somewhat youthful is helpful um, or super accomplished to the point where they ain't got to recruit quite as hard, right? I mean, no. I, I think that's kind of almost where John Hevesy is now, too, in a way that a lot of us, myself included, didn't think about when they brought him back because we were like, oh, no, Hevesy doesn't recruit. And it's like, well, you know, Pittsburgh Pouncey is going to Canton. Yeah. Uh, another couple guys that he's coached are, are making Pro Bowls pretty consistently. Like, how hard is it to sell any of that? Right. Hey, you, you come play for me, I'll develop you. Yeah. You know, you know pour me another beer. So. <laughs> hey, you get them, I'll pull them for you. Yeah. There we go. yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's move to some more openings. And, of course, the defensive back, cornerback position here. The popular names there uh, are recently let go. Atlanta Falcons defensive coordinator and former Gator Marquand Manuel has connections down uh, in, in South Florida areas. And also former Gator Q1. Ratliff getting his name thrown out there as well. Other Another name on hot boards is former Gators defensive back co coach Corey Bell, who is at Central Florida now. Uh, but was on the Gator staff for the two, 2017 season. Uh, the kind of the last season there. Chad Wilson uh, had a funny clip uh, uh, about that on Twitter. The the father of Quincy and Marco Wilson quote should have never let Corey Bell go. Frankly, that's what he says when when uh, uh, Charlton Warren left. So we we kind of see what they uh, at least you kind of know what what a player's father, uh, current player on the uh, on the team thinks, and someone who knows the game uh, yeah, as yeah. well as well as Wilson does. So. 
you know, that his, his thought about Bell. You know, Bell does make a lot of sense as long as there's no hard feelings between him and Mullen because of not retaining him last season. Uh, I talked to someone this morning who's been close to the Florida program uh, in the last few, in, in the last couple of seasons uh, about this whole situation, and you know, kind of just uh, non solicited. He he, they believe Bell is, is is a candidate that makes the most sense given. And gives the reason that he knows the kids on the team. Uh, he says the kids love him as a South Florida presence, can coach, can recruit. He says it's a no-brainer. Uh, you know, he says also that that Bell was on Georgia's short list for their opening that Charlton Warren got. So now I have been also told uh, separate uh, that uh, there is a worry that he has quote obvious bias against players not from the state of Florida, and some players and their families weren't too sad when he was not retained by Mullen. So uh, now um, now I know that that was a big deterrent from the way Randy Shannon did things and his bias towards especially South Florida kids. Uh, so, you know, I, I, for one, don't think Mullen and Grantham are, are this way. Uh, the best players will play. Bell was big in, in parts in, in recruitments of Frank Ladson, Tyreek Stevenson, Pat Sertain, Devon Wilson, uh, some of the Buford and Grayson kids out of Georgia in his short stint here. Uh, so you know, it would be kind of uh, interesting if, hey, maybe Charlie Partridge and Corey Bell are reunited <laughs> as they coach together at FAU. And that would just be a, a kind of a, a side part of the story here. Uh, so that's kind of the names that are on the board, uh, what I know and what was brought to my attention about Bell uh, but uh, but Neil, you had some uh, some insight on the, the, the probably the biggest name out there that fa- fans really want to see, and that's former Gator Marquand Manuel. Yeah, and and um, you know since we spoke about it, I've I've been able to talk to a couple people. Uh, so you know I think that there's obviously sort of uh, Pat Dooley tweeted, mm-hmm. we all saw it, groundswell support for Marquand Manuel. Um, I can say you know, exclusive to Gators breakdown that, that there is interest on the manual side. Um, and that's mold. That's through multiple sources. That's through people that, that I trust. And I'm comfortable saying that I cannot say exclusive to Gators breakdown, that that's mutual interest between the Florida coaching staff and manual. But, um, I think I can say definitively that if Florida called Marquand would listen. Um, and, uh, I think that, I think you'd probably have to structure it very carefully. You'd probably need, you know, if you were going to make him cornerbacks coach, you'd probably also have to make him associate head coach uh, and then put a price tag on that. Now, now that creates a couple different issues. One is, is Todd Grantham cool with all that? Uh, I think he would be because you, you read my mind on that one. Yeah. I think, I think Todd would be fine with all that. I really do. Um, Todd Grantham wants to win football games. The guy's a football junkie and he hates losing. So if he can bring in Marquand Manuel with his Super Bowl ring and all that NFL experience and program experience, and Marquand can go and sell this program in homes in South Florida and across the country and say, yeah, here's the guys I coached that are at Pro Bowl. And here's the, the time I had when I was a player at Florida playing on, you know, one of the best Florida teams ever, whatever. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think all that is is useful. Um, the the question I think is is he comfortable with just a position coach type role because they're not going to co DC him. Right. Um, that I don't know if Grantham would be cool with. I don't think Grantham cares if he's associate head coach just to have that label. And then I think you know then it it becomes soul searching time for Marquand too because 
He has been a defensive coordinator uh, on a very successful team in the NFL. 12 months ago, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. I remember seeing people t- tossing out his names on message boards, like wishful thinking <laughs> about last year. Like we bring in Marquand as DC before they knew, <laughs> before they knew Grantham was coming. And I was like, um, you know, Marquand's getting ready for a playoff game yeah. and they almost won the Super Bowl the year before. So uh, I think Marquand wants to be a head coach in the national football league. And I don't know if you go back to Florida, you know, is he okay with thinking I can become a head coach collegiately? Will a big program give me the keys to that sort of pro, you know, give me the keys to their program. So there's a lot to think about on both sides. Um, But as I said earlier, my position is this is the business we've chosen. You call him and you make him tell, you no. Yeah. And I, I think the risk is worth it. You know, from looking at it, I guess I'll play devil's advocate, but I think it's worth the risk is, Hey, Look, and, and this is Florida. It's a big-time football program. It's going to happen with a lot of guys you bring in. Does he bowl after a year or two? But you know, what kind of production do you get out of him in that year or two? Does, 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 he, does he have some kind of Dan Quinn effect? And we remember the Dan Quinn defenses under Will Muschamp. If we get that type of production out of him, absolutely. It's, it's worth every bit of it. So, you know, it's you know, I, I, it's it, it, you don't want a rotation of coaches. And I know we felt good about this staff as of about a week ago. And then here we go, Friday, Saturday, we're losing two coaches. But that is the business of it right now. It happens. I mean, Saban goes through assistance like crazy. And, and Georgia just lost a ton. And now Florida's just lost two. It's the nature of the business. I don't think it sends bad signs if you're if you're rotating guys in and out. As long as you as long as you got Mullen on the offense, the offense is taken care of. And 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 Grantham, whether he leaves to go somewhere one day or not, I don't think it's anytime soon. So I think you're kind of set there, but you're, you're gonna with success, you're gonna go through assistance. Well, I think that's one thing about Grantham is kind of in that tweener stage of life where he kind of has to decide if he's a lifelong right. DC, a John Chavis, or is he a guy that eventually wants to be a head coach? And I don't know, uh, we, t- I don't know Todd well enough to know the answer to that question. Am I right? Before we go on, didn't he interview for the Mississippi State job when Mullen he, left? It, he did. Right. He did. So, I mean, I think. I think he's open to it in the right yeah. in the right circumstance. It's just another reason that a manual type offer makes sense because if Todd Grantham left, it's a pretty seamless transition to go to Marquand, who basically played a pretty similar defense in in Atlanta, and and this year they had so many injuries in the back back into their defense that they really weren't able to to blitz the way that he likes and play the type of aggressive style he likes. The other thing I'd say about Marquand is this isn't like some guy that, and I'm not disrespecting any Florida Gator football alumnus, but this isn't a guy that came and made four tackles while on scholarship for four years. This is all American, right? So yeah. I mean, an all SEC player who was captain. Uh, and one so of our they, favorite traditions we were talking about behind yeah, the scenes, the, uh, the jumping on the team huddle before the game. And I'm gonna tell you that was that was hype back in the day. You get this. Yeah. I mean, they get through with warmups, and the yeah. team gets together, and then one player you see him kind of. Dangle out there by themselves, and all of a sudden just run up and and get vaulted up by their teammates and sit there and and, and hyping them up. You know, I, I missed that, and I think you said it's probably been yeah, it's probably has been since Major Wright. Major Wright was the yeah. last one, and Quan Quan is from that long line of nasty Florida safeties that 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 tradition that really starts with Lewis Oliver in the eighties, and and goes on with to Jarvis Williams and and into Lawrence Wright, and then to Mark Quan and. 
Um, so there's a lot of, a lot of tradition and a lot of passion for the program there. Yeah. It, um, uh, I know a lot of people bring up the, the whole being fired from, from Atlanta, but more than likely, and we discussed it behind the scenes too, scapegoat for Dan Quinn there. Uh, it, some, something was going to have to happen to show some, the, that changes will be made. Uh, unfortunately for, 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 uh, uh, for Manuel, that uh, it's him being the scapegoat more than likely for for Dan Quinn and, and the Falcons. Yeah, there was some reporting that was done um, at the Athletic also that indicated that that Marquand had been offered a demotion mm. uh, with the Falcons and wasn't comfortable uh, with the demotion with the Falcons. Now you might say, well, if he wasn't comfortable with the Falcons, why would he take the DB job at Florida? I think those things are totally different. It's yeah. Like, you can stay on staff, but you can't be the coordinator anymore. It's a little more insulting than asking someone to become coach defensive backs at their alma mater while being named associate head coach. <laughs> right. There's some, there's some, there's some spell, self-respect in play there. <laughs> yeah. It's a, a little bit different. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Neil, some other names to watch for Torian Gray, who was just released by the Redskins uh, and also Redskins assistant DB coach, James Rowe. Uh, we all remember Gray's one year stint uh, at Florida, 2016, Rowe was on Florida staff in 2015 as a grad assistant, helped develop Vernon Hargraves, Marcus May, Tease Tabor uh, from Cocoa, Florida. He was also in on bringing Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, offensive lineman Juwan Taylor. Uh, after leaving Florida in one season, uh, went on to be the defensive coordinator at Valdosta State in 2016 and then made the big jump to the Washington Redskins, who hired him as an assistant DB coach in 2017. So from defensive coordinator at Valdosta State all the way to the NFL – and uh and the, and the redskins gets kind of odd but you know I'll, i guess uh he there's shit enough there uh and coach uh tyron on twitter also mentions Roe was contacted by georgia a few days ago for their opening uh a, as well so uh two other names uh to watch out there uh when, when when we look at it so i did find it interesting that the coaches with no prior history with mullen are the two that have left so far, and I believe uh, Warren was the last hire made. If I if I hear him or English were the last hire made uh, the, the last year uh, for Mullen, so it'll be interesting to see the the route Mullen goes with these hires and see if he tries to bring in familiarity and or some names not really on the radar. Yeah, I mean, I think I think uh, a relentless one of the two spots probably if you can't get a guy like Marquand Manuel that has Super Bowls and ties to the school, I mean, you, you maybe, maybe you do go relentless recruiter at one of the spots. I've already said I do that at, uh, at, at DB and not mm-hmm. on the DL spot. Um, you know, you, of course you want the package of both, like you said, uh, but your athleticism can take over a, a lot yeah, better, a lot better at the defensive back with, position. Than it with can Corey, also. with Corey Bell. I mean, the big question I'd ask is, is, you know, how, how instrumental was, was he in landing anybody in particular at Florida? I liked the Marco Wilson endorsement on, or Marco Wilson's father endorsing that um, coach on Twitter, I think is a big deal because that's, as you said, that's somebody that knows football. Um, so, and, and, and relationships with his kids. I mean, yeah, he, I mean, he's, that's, there's trust there. That tells me, that tells me enough. Um, yeah. I think that to, to trust that, uh, even though you know, obviously Florida had high-profile whiffs at the position um, in the last last couple of years too, and and just so happened to to eke out that C.J. Henderson battle in the last uh, <laughs> the last week there, and boy, are Florida fans probably glad that they won that one. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, and uh, 
Neil, so these coaching moves have some people in a panic, mostly because of the timing and recruiting. And earlier this week, the Gators moved up into uh, the 24-7 sports composite top 10. Only lasted a few days as Penn State grabbed Smith Gilbert, who visited Florida last week. Uh, Penn State got his commitment, and after that commitment, they jumped back into the 10th spot. But look, splitting hairs there. Uh, two of the biggest targets for the Gators are coming off Georgia visits with Kyrie Elam and Mark Anthony Richards. Both their own visits to Florida last week, so we'll see how the Warren moves affects Elam and if Coley being the new Bulldogs offensive coordinator has any bearing on Mark Anthony Richards. One thing for sure, Neil, is there's going to be a lot of Florida-Georgia battles in the coming years on the trail. It might just be as intense off the, uh, on the trail as it is on the field. That's the way it should be. Uh, but I did notice that yesterday going through your tweets, and I, I noticed as well, kind of when, when the move was made with Warren and stuff, I think a lot of Gator fans feel this way, still cautiously optimistic about Kyrie Elam still ending up a Gator. Yeah, I think he's going to sign with Florida. Um, I think it's, again, I think it's about Dan Mullen. And mm-hmm. I think it's about Todd Grantham. Uh, I think it's about his uncle Matt. And and I think Florida's in a, in a really good position there. Um, I wrote in December before early signing day, I felt like it was the most important recruiting battle that Florida had this cycle. Um, I know some people disagreed with that and I understand why they did from a needs perspective. Right. Uh, but I think the, the thing that's not as talked about other than the obvious head to head with Kirby, a guy that Kirby obviously really wants, you don't pull this stunt unless he's at the top of your board. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's cool. Cause now we know for sure that he's the top of the board instead of just puffing everybody's chest out yeah. and saying, Kyrie Elam's the top of their board. No, he is the top of their board. Um, <laughs> So now every Gator fan that asserted it, you can feel good about that. But, but it's also Northern Palm Beach County, which uh, that hasn't been a real kind area um, for Florida since 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 the Muschamp, you know, handling of of Robert Clark, Gerald Christian, and and the elephant in the room, Jacoby Brissett. So, uh, you know, Elam's brother obviously played at, at Dwyer. Uh, where I went to school and and there's a lot of bitterness at Dwyer towards the Florida program that Mullen has gone along with and alleviating. Now, Kair goes to the Benjamin school and is coached by Eric Kresser. Um, but that's because that's where his parents decided to, to send him academically. Um, had nothing to do with any problems they had with their relationships at Dwyer. And I think Kair choosing Florida would kind of be that turning over of a new leaf in Northern Palm Beach County that could get Florida back into that Dwyer pipeline that, that brought them Matt Elam and, and produces so much high-level talent. I mean, you know, Johnny Dixon is a guy who grew up with Tebow posters in his room. Hmm. And uh, we all saw the career he had at Ohio State. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, that's probably a door that Florida wants to open again. Yeah, and uh, Elam and Chris Steele were pretty good friends too uh, in, in, in the recruiting world. Yeah, yep. and so that's, that's another connection in, in the advantage of Florida uh, there. So a little more recruiting before we get into uh, Will's latest article on Saturday down south. Uh, Dewan Black in the Polynesian Bowl. Uh, hey, came on midnight <laughs> Saturday night. So we either had to catch a replay, record it, or watch it live if you wanted to stay up till 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. But uh, uh, throughout the week, Black was one of the most uh, active and energetic players. Uh, practice, chase down ball carriers, uh, flats running sideline to sideline, guy after the quarterback, come off the edge, covered in uh, coverage well, um, committed to Florida, uh, of course. Gators will get his only visit. 
Uh, in the game itself, he was very aggressive, showed uh, what he showed in practice all week, great closing speed, uh, even admitted on Twitter that he missed some tackles early. But remember, he hasn't played a game of football since 2017. So that kind of stuff, to me, going to be expected. Uh, and, and But, you know, he showed great instincts, great speed. Uh, and, man, did he just uh, – he looks look great in a uniform. He was he stood yeah. out. He stood out on the field when I was looking at some of those other players, Dale. Sir, I was really impressed with his size and his speed. Uh, involved with some pass breakups as well. Neil, this is a versatile player that might be hard to keep off the field as a true freshman. Yeah, I think him and uh, Diabate, the linebacker from from Auburn, are going to play quite a bit as freshmen uh, for different reasons. I think I think you identify the reasons that Dewan Black will play. He's versatile. Um, anybody that, that appreciated Voshan Joseph's game understands that there were some limitations there in pass coverage. I think black, uh, immediately might be, you know, somebody that's capable in pass coverage, which could help, um, Florida needs that because we all know that the, the only limitation to David Reese as a football player is, you know, that he's not that fast. Um, <laughs> and so I think, I think Florida can use that. I think with with James Houston, you you've got a a future star, but but the questions are who are the guys that are behind those those sure things, and I think uh, Black will be be certainly a factor because of his versatility, Diabate because of his ability to to make the big hit to fit run gaps, um, and just because he's so physically imposing already. Anybody, another guy that looks really good in a uniform, um, it's it's kind of the cliche thing to say, but you know. You can always tell elite teams and defenses when they get off the bus, and yeah. and Black and Diabate are the two guys that kind of if you see him on a sideline, you're like, whoa, who's that guy? <laughs> so yeah, it's exciting that uh, that he got to play a football game. I'm sure he enjoyed that, and I love the accountability. Like, ah, oh, I missed some tackles. That's not yeah. good. You know, that's cool. Eighteen yeah. year old kid to kind of have that uh, that ability to to be reflective is neat. Absolutely. And an update on Charles Morris uh, now as well. He says he will not commit until signing day. Uh, and his visits are now going to be Florida State after he eliminated Florida State last week. So he's going to visit Florida State and LSU uh, now. Uh, FSU on the 25th and LSU February 1st. Uh, six foot four, 268 pounder. You know, visited Florida uh, last weekend. Gators vaulted, went up to the top of his recruitment. Uh, we'll see now what happens with Sanceri going away, if that affects his recruitment. It does say Tennessee is no longer in the running. I heard Tennessee kind of – that was more of a Tennessee decision than him uh, from what I was told there. So we'll kind of see uh, what happens there. Um, was committed to Mississippi State uh, at one time, committed to Dan Mullen there, and uh, we'll see if he ends up at Starkville visiting too before uh, National Signing Day. So to nail the uh, 71st overall prospect in the nation – uh, coming off uh, as far to visit last week and now kind of still shuffling his board and now FSU, LSU in the mix. Yeah, I mean, I think Florida, I mean, we'd all like to see Florida sign another player at that position and and Charles Morris kind of has ratcheted up to the, the guy it seems most likely to, to land. I know I'm not, I know I'm in the minority on the Nathan Pickering recruiting, but until uh, until Will Salmon of the Athletics says it's not going to happen, I'm not going to say it's not going to happen. So, <laughs> um, and, Will, guy, yeah, and, and Will's really connected with Florida and Mississippi State side. Yeah, so, and and Nathan loves Dan Mullen, and he loves Todd Grantham, and and uh, the fact that you know he's there was some news that he might be canceling visits last week, and he went out on Twitter and was like, "That's ridiculous." 
I'm going to go on all my visits. And uh, to me, as long as his recruiting is open, I, I believe he signs with Miss State when he signs on the dotted line. So I think those are the two guys that, that Florida has to kind of focus on here down the stretch. All right, one more. Chris Bogle said earlier in this week he's going to visit Florida. Um, now, that, now that Bama is losing some of its coaching staff, we'll see if that holds true now with Sal Sinceri leaving uh, and, and, and going to Alabama. He played in the Polynesian Bowl as well. Shows some flashes as to why he's a highly ranked target as well uh, and definitely why the Gators want him. Oh, there we go. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, you know, Chris Bogle, Cardinal Gibbons, South Florida kid. Um, just another guy that, that gets in and is really fast and big off the edge. To me, I think, I think Pickering and Moore are better prospects, especially mm. in terms of what Florida needs. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I completely agree there. I think you get those two, I'm completely fine. I mean, Bogle would just be, on the optics, still a very nice pickup there. Uh, and if you can end up getting him. But, yeah, I'll take Pickering and, uh, and Moore uh, as well. So, Neil, let's get to your latest article that people can find on Saturday Down South and some of the goals that the Gators need to hit this offseason. And uh, first, of course, the biggest issue the Gators will face, and that is rebuilding that offensive line. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I almost put it uh, second, actually, because I, <laughs> I, I trust uh, – there was this moment in the Peach Bowl where everybody was sort of walking down to from the press area to mm-hmm. the – talk to the players and get ready for the post-game press conferences. So there's probably six or seven minutes ago, Chauncey hadn't taken the, uh, the pick to the house yet, but they had just messed up the protection on the punt and get oh, it. Okay. <laughs> and John Hevesy was just ripping the second string offensive line on the sideline, like about to throw. A, and, you know, it's kind of like, well, you know, this, he knows already, like he's already in, I'm coaching, I'm going to coach to the end of this game mode. There was no celebrating, no partying. Uh, and that's where Florida's, Florida's got to be uh, focused there from, from the first day of spring practice moving forward through Nick Savage's program. Um, the TJ McCoy transfer, really no surprise. So, mm. you know, you the one spot you have a starter at is center, right? And then yeah. everything else, well, I, I think Brett Hedgie, it's safe to say we'll yeah. we'll start at least the Miami game um, because you want to have that experience there. But uh, you know, then it's then it's all hands on deck. You know, is is Rich Goriage does another summer a blue chip player, highly touted guy. You know, uh, does another summer in Nick Savage's program get him ready for the field? Uh, that's that's a big question. So a host of different questions on that front. I think Florida fans can expect some growing pains, which is why I said. Progress isn't always linear, right? Like, yeah. you could have, Florida might have to ride its defense a little in uh, in September, which is why, um, and those electric playmakers at receiver, if if they can get the ball out, uh, because you know that's the schedule kind of sets up favorably for that. But uh, there's going to be some growing pains up front. I, I completely agree, and I, and I do think too. Um, yes, yeah, you. You're, you're losing experience in guys who graduated and, and left early, of course. But these are guys that are coming in who get to play who are, if you think about it, end up being more seasoned in Hevesy's and, and Mullen's offense because of this would be their second year instead of those guys' first year. So in the end, I, I, I agree with you. 
it may start off bumpy, but by the time we get mid-season to the end of season, you may see a lot of similar a lot of the similar play that we saw at the end of this past season, just because those guys are in tune with what Hennessy wants and, and what Nick Savage wants and what Dan Mullen expects in this offense. There, this would be their second spring uh, go, going into this offense. Yeah, and and you also identify uh, another. You, you hint at another issue, which is kind of cool, is that. Um, it's 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 more highly touted guys with the exception yeah. of Tez Ivy. So, I mean, if you like, you know, if you like recruiting rankings and you like stars and you should like those things, <laughs> um, you know, these are blue kids for the most part. So that's time. That's why you sign up to play in Florida. Time to produce. <laughs> well, I think this will probably get a loud ovation from Gator fans. And your next goal was get Kadarius Tony ten touches a game. Uh, so I had to go through and just kind of look at some stuff here. And his highest this season was six in back-to-back games versus South Carolina and Idaho. And he was really instrumental in that South Carolina game where he averaged 16.6 yards per catch on two catches. One of those, the 18-yard screen for a touchdown. Uh, and he also averaged 12.8 yards a carry on four carries versus the Gamecocks. So reversing field, showing his playmaking ability. Uh, big play waiting to happen. So I say get him involved as uh, early as a goal, you know, can be tied to getting off to faster starts in the offense as well. Cause yes, the Gators were putting points on the board late in the season, but besides Idaho, the Gators didn't score a first quarter touchdown after the Tennessee game. So yes, I'm nitpicking here a little bit because the Gators eventually, of course they put points on the board, but like to see some faster starts and maybe getting Tony involved even more helps get off to faster starts in games too. Yeah. I mean, you're not uh, I don't think you're nitpicking at all. Florida was just absolutely destroyed by power five teams in the first quarter. And, and I think you evaluate every part of your program when you have a good program, you're going to hear me say this on the Florida basketball hour a lot. Right. And that's Dan Mullen, I think has shown it now in two places that he knows how to evaluate a program. And uh, that's going to be something that Florida's going to want to fix is how, how do they start games? It's more important how you finish them, but you can't put yourself in these holes. I thought against Georgia in particular, the way that they got in a hole and then played well for two and a half quarters meant that dominating the game for two and a half quarters didn't really matter because they came out so badly. Um, you can't do that against elite teams, but as for Tony, um, First player since Percy Harvin to average a first down a touch for two consecutive seasons. Uh, there's there's a reason that that that's good, right? There's a reason <laughs> you're in. There's a reason you're in that kind of company. Um, a lot of people thought that Dan Mullen didn't want to, you know, oh well, he's not us- utilizing him properly. And all I'll say to that is that this is the Dan Mullen who, in huge games at Florida, all you saw was one in fifteen. So. <laughs> You know, when, when it was crunch time at Florida, it was 1-15. If Kadarius Tony knew the offense, he would have had the 10 touches a game. So yeah. the challenge for this staff is learning to trust him. And Dan Mullen even said that at Peach yeah. Bowl press conferences leading up to the Peach Bowl. He said, well, you know, and, and after the South Carolina game, he said, well, we'll run a play for him, and then it doesn't go at all like planned. And I don't think he's talking so much about human joystick as much as he's talking about like Kadarius doesn't necessarily execute the play. Um, that human joystick stuff happens second level with great players, but Kadarius maybe doesn't get the concept totally right. So I think it's good that in November, those touches were up at five, six, again, in important football games for Florida after the Missouri loss. 
because it's it suggests that that Canarius is starting to understand what the staff wants him to do. All right, your next goal too, the quarterback room, uh, and <laughs> I, I'm I'm going to relate this to hey, watch some film, watch more film. Break you're going to break down a season's worth of film now that you didn't have uh, with Franks uh, and Emory Jones last year. You know now also you get to you get to hone in on some skills and mechanics things you also didn't get to concentrate on last year because you were installing the system, trying to get players up to speed. And another one I, I think the the goal should be. No matter how good Franks is, no matter how big of a step I think he takes, yes, he should be the starter. I don't think there's any question about it. Emory Jones get get some more playing time as well. Yeah, uh, look, um, Felipe Franks earned the right to start uh, next season. He's going to start the Miami game, barring an injury this this spring and or or this summer. I think we all know that, and we should be prepared to to uh, see it. Um, and that's great. Uh, I think you've you've identified exactly why I thought that this is such a cool opportunity. Is you're going to have the most talented room they've had since Newton, Tebow, Brantley, um, at least from a recruiting perspective. Yeah. Um, you know, two Heisman Trophy winners and a five star <laughs> in that one, and and here uh, two you know three blue chip quarterbacks, three four star quarterbacks in the same room. Um, I do think that they'll start using Emory Jones pretty consistently in packages. Something we saw with Dak Prescott as a sophomore, and I think uh, eventually Dak, of course, started. But, but I think um, you know uh, another one that was interesting was to me, and and I didn't put this in the article, but we've seen some some recruits for 2020 mm. talking about how they want to play with Emory Jones. I liked Emory Jones, uh, and that's interesting because of course Felipe Franks is only a junior. <laughs> so uh and i know our friend uh unc silk says uh that that he's a senior for all intents and purposes <laughs> yeah. well, if felipe is a senior it's time to get in the film room and and keep getting better but credit mm. to him man uh he you know a lot of kids would have would have retreated into a hole after that missouri game and yeah and uh franks didn't so i fully expect him to lead a great football team that loses to missouri next year <laughs> no. uh, uh, your next goal is you know linebacker position who steps up at linebacker and david reese a steady presence there with Vashawn joseph leaving uh ventro miller james houston definitely uh going to get their chance after showing some promise this year i think they'll miss joseph speed so this is why i say watch out for amari bernie there as well some, some there. I don't think he'll. I don't think he can play there all the time, or he may not play there all the time. Certain packages, certain looks. I think they'll move him into that position. You know, I, I saw and followed him playing that position a, a good bit the, the second half of the Peach Bowl. Yeah, uh, he said after the Peach Bowl that he thought that that's where he was going to spend a lot of time this spring. Um, told me that. Told Nick De La Torre that. So I, I would look for that to happen. Um, I think. Uh, I think James Houston is going to be an all SEC caliber player at Florida. I think next year you're going to start to see that uh, happen. Um, so I'm very optimistic about Florida linebacker. I'm like you. I'm just trying to figure out who the guys behind Reese and Houston and Bernie some uh, are going to be. Florida will miss Voshan speed a lot. Mm -hmm. Grantham will miss it because it's a way to disguise blitzes, uh, the way he would move Voshan around. Um getting that, finding that guy who can get downhill. One guy that I thought people should take a close look at this spring is Dave is the other David Reese right. uh, who had an 
excellent bowl game practice, series of bowl game practices and really flew around FSU week in practice too. Um, I think he's a guy who, if you watch any film from him with Vero Beach, just really understands football as instinctual and getting to the ball. Am I going to make the Jared Davis find the ball comparison? Um, Cause that's not fair to David Reese, <laughs> but but it could be uh, anywhere near that. I'm all for it. <laughs> yeah, right. But he's but he is he is wonderful. Yeah. He's wonderful at finding the football. Very instinctual player. I think he could make a real big leap and and play quite a bit. Okay, and your last one. Find leaders outside of Lamichael P. Ryan. Uh, I think there's some strong candidates for for leadership on, on this team. Starting with quarterbacks, Franks, of course, Ben Jefferson, maybe as well. Swain and Hammond have some experience. I think the you know just. Does productivity play into this a little bit? Uh, maybe. Uh, I'm not really sure. On defense, I think it can be led by David Reese, uh, Zuniga, plenty of experience as well. Perhaps the two corners, uh, Marco Wilson, C.J. Henderson uh, there. So uh, it will be interesting when uh, SEC media days rolls around. You know, you kind of like to send some leaders uh, along that. So it would be interesting. I think P. Ryan probably will be one of them. Franks will probably be another one. Uh, but uh, – you know, rolls around, you know, whoever shows up at SEC Media Days, it's, it's kind of tied into that whole leadership thing uh, as well. So we might get a little inkling of uh, who, who the team and who Dan Mullen thinks some of the leaders are when it rolls around. Yeah, I, I left out David Reese and, and shouldn't have. Um, I think he's certainly a leader uh, and has been since Florida's really bad defeat to, to Missouri. Oh, yeah in the McElwain era when he essentially called out the whole program. Um, and, you know, so I think he's very well respected. Uh, it was just interesting to me that like CJ Henderson and Siante Lewis and Iverson Clement were three of the guys who, cause I asked this question after the peach bowl in the locker room and all three said the Michael P Ryan mm. um, was the guy that they'd run through a wall for. That was Clement's quote. <laughs> I'd run through a wall for that guy. So, um, and why, think, and, why, and why wouldn't you? I mean, the Michael P. Ryan's recruiting, yeah. recruiting story of he wanted to be a Gator, paid for his own bus ride to be the Gainesville to get noticed, and got the offer, became a Gator, and what a heck of a season by him. Uh, he just plays so hard, too. He plays hard. He practices hard. Uh, he's accountable. So, I mean, he's, he's definitely that. And then Felipe Franks is a, great, is a great guy to mention because his teammates love him. Oh. Um, you know, you can shush the crowd. You can do all that kind of stuff. You can drive fans crazy, but if your teammate rallies, if your teammates rally around you, that's that's leadership. So I think I think on Florida, it's finding somebody outside of David Reese uh, defensively. That's going to be a big deal. Whether it's Brad Stewart, whether it's C.J. Henderson, um, whether you know Marco can focus on leadership and not just getting healthy and being yeah. himself, uh, but you know because certainly his brother Quincy was a leader. Uh, so you've yeah, there's a lot of good candidates, but anytime you lose a CC Jefferson and a Martez Ivy, uh, you and a Jakai Polite, <laughs> that's a pretty big leadership vacuum to fill. Yep. Uh, Neil, thanks for uh, joining me here for this hour. And speaking of hour, the Florida Basketball Hour podcast uh, you guys have going on. Uh, quick blurb about the basketball team coming off a win uh, versus Georgia and how, uh, what everybody can expect on your uh, next episode of uh, your podcast. Yeah, so uh, I'll be uh, breaking down the, the victory over Georgia. Eric Fawcett from GatorCountry.com usually joins me. Um, we've had a bunch of other guests, but, but check us out. Uh, we try to bring some levity and some fairness to these discussions. 
Um, that doesn't mean Mike White apologism. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't mean that we're going to hold up the pitchforks either. Uh, I think Florida's entering a really crucial five to six game stretch here that'll define this season starting, uh, starting last Saturday, but continuing Tuesday against Texas A&M and then next weekend, uh, a tough game at TCU. All right. And, uh, what you got coming up, uh, for uh, Saturday down South and, and, uh, I guess I guess it's probably some more focus on the football team, right? Yeah. So a couple things there. Going to have a recruiting feature, um, and then um, we are working on a uh, what what it's like to learn from Dan Mullen piece, which I think everybody's going to enjoy. Just uh, a day in the film room with Dan Mullen. So um, shout out to to Gator Football for cooperating us with us with us on that. And oh, I very hope, cool. I hope you guys can look forward to, to seeing that in, in the next month or so. All right, we'll absolutely be sharing that here from uh, the Gators Breakdown side of things. <laughs> and uh, Neil, it was finally, like I said, earlier in the episode, nice to finally meet you back in Atlanta for, <laughs> after the Peach Bowl. Glad you could join me here. Uh, like I said, kind of short notice. We had a lot of coaching discussion and a lot of insight here on this episode. Uh, so uh, thank you, th- thanks for joining me. And uh, th- I think uh, I think I think a great episode. I, I think uh, our listeners will get a whole lot out of it. I hope so, Dan. Thanks you. Thank you for having me. And uh, always, always a good time. Thank you. All right, that's Neil Blackman. You can find him on Twitter, NW Blackman, and on Saturday Down South and the Florida Basketball Hour podcast. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.